Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Let's get ready. It's showtime, folks. Bradley is my favorite one. Here on BZ has some fun. Say your theories put to test. Won't you call some more? Jay talking. Jay, they're wonderful people. With Bradley Jay. Hey, we're going to nip this in the bud. I don't care what time it is. We're going to go talk this thing out. WBZ News Radio 1030. WBZ News Radio 1030. Bradley Jay, you're Jay talking. We're live midnight to five. I mean, really live. You can call in and actually talk to a human being. Mark Lavallo is the other human being here. Actually, there are four human beings tonight. Mark, me, and David Bieber with Brian Coleman. Now, Brian Coleman is here because he's put together yet another book. He's been in before with your hip-hop book, right? Yes, that's true. And you have a book now called Buy Me, Boston, and it's local ads and flyers. And this is super valuable because it's the only hard, touchable connection that anyone can have with the Boston you knew. The Boston you knew in the, uh, in the 70s. In the '80s, I am also. We are also joined by David Bieber, who's a colleague of Brian's and a colleague of mine. As a Boston archivist and is very, very involved in archiving Boston over at your space. Talk about that a little bit, David. Right. I have my collection at the Norwood Space Center in Norwood, and uh, it's a panorama of content from the last 40 years. Uh, I worked at WBCN. I worked at the Boston Phoenix on WFNX and was on that assembly line of great creative content that were being generated by record companies and movie companies. And uh, just uh, I saved and preserved as much as I could. And uh, six, seven hundred thousand artifacts later, here we are. Did you save it at the time for the joy of the things or did you, was it always about the future? Uh, it was more just in the moment. These things are coming around only one time and why not save them? You know, they're there. I, I often say that the people that I work with had a kind of equal opportunity shot at keeping these things. They did. And, uh, you know, there was, it was such a creative time that uh, record companies and movie companies were competitive with each, with each other to see who could come up with the best, you know, most eye-stopping, crowd-pleasing items. And uh, I appreciated the design and the beauty and the magnificence, but it was also temporary. It had a purpose. It was promoting something, and next week there'd be a new item on the assembly line. Well, you, unlike most of us, had a sense of the culture and how the culture of that time would fit into future cultures. You had that sense all along, and, and we didn't. Well, I didn't uh, anyway. We, we, I was just now, now, now. Well, but the beauty right now, uh, 25, 30, 40 years later, is that uh, institutions and museums and cultural clearinghouses have caught up with the content and are now beginning to appreciate it because in its own way, much akin to Brian's book, uh, it's a time capsule of a period in our lives that sadly is either in a landfill somewhere or just doesn't exist. A lot of things that were used for store displays, for example, 
they don't exist anymore. You know, a lot of uh, record companies don't, you know, other than, you know, the great um, and appreciated Newbury Comics, which doesn't really dress the interior of their store with, with uh, these kinds of items. I have lobby displays. You know, there's nothing greater than having someone come to the Norwood Space Center and taking a look at a lobby display of Prince's uh, uh, Purple Rain. You know, the, it's larger than life size. Uh, it's those, the real thing, the yeah. original. And and that's what I'm so happy to have and share with the public, you know, whether it's at the Norwood Space Center, at the Verb Hotel, at the Music Hall, which is at the Wang Center, is that the authentic items can live and breathe again. And I think that's what Brian's book is all about as well, is that he has, you know, he came out to the place where I have my things stored and meticulously turned the pages of publications that were Boston-oriented, you know, some that were uh, long gone, like Avatar, uh, others like the Boston Phoenix that lasted up until maybe five years ago. But, you know, he selected things in a very kind of... Uh, memorable and also random way that you know preserved those times and shows the music and the clubs and the restaurants and the food the fashion everything about those days some of these places still exist some are gone so if you experienced boston in the 70s the 80s this book will mean a lot to you make someone buy it for you for christmas it's a tremendous stock stocking stuffer and again the boston that lives only in your mind now it also lives at the Space Center that run, is run by David. And as an extension, it lives in this very book. It's called Buy Me Boston, Local Ads and Flyers, 60s, 70s, and 80s. One thing that's super valuable and is that in the original, it's a lot of time like posters for gig nights at bands. Don't have the year, they have the date, they don't have the year, but in the book, you put the year. How did yes. you find the years on like, a certain night at the rat when it's not listed. Well, yeah, that's, that's took some detective work, I suppose. I mean, honestly, online, you just go to a calendar. And so, so you'd look and you'd see, okay, it's the inflictors at the rat. So it's definitely not 1985. So it's probably 77, maybe 76. And you literally just look, okay, March, did that fall on a Thursday? I mean, the worst is when it just says, you know, April 21 and 22. And you're just like, oh. But you assume it's probably if it was Willie Loco Alexander, it was probably a weekend, you know, and uh, so there were different ways to figure it out. But, yeah, I mean, that was important to me to make sure um, that that accuracy, that the historical accuracy was there, because to me, that's always important. Whenever I look at something, I always say, wait, when was that? I got to You know, it's a diff it's it's a big difference if that was 78 or if that was 81. Like, I got to know. Mm -hmm. um, just culturally and what was going on at the time. I mean, honestly, I, I'm sure you agree that looking at the listings even, because uh, some of the book is are, are full ads for like one show or one artist or a restaurant, et cetera. And then I also sprinkled in all over the place uh, what I would call like strip ads. So it'd be like, you know, Johnny D's or the Western Front. Right. And you can see who's headlining, who's opening. You know, so I have stuff from like Green Street Station, where the Pixies are opening. So it's like, okay, well, obviously that must have been 86, 87. That wasn't later. Um, and so so that's interesting too. Uh, there's definitely a, just, you can spend certainly hours looking at all this stuff and, and pouring over it and, re and remembering if, if it wasn't a show you were at, you certainly wish you were at, yeah. you know. And it's also helpful for me to, 
because I kind of forget. But it all kind of runs together when the pixies were a thing. Yeah. And when the nervous eaters were a thing. Yeah. And even even where the clubs were, you know, like that's actually one really important thing, too, is like where was streets? You know, it's like, oh, oh, well, there streets was at, you know, there on Com Ave and streets was now. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's where the Herb Chambers is now. Right. Yeah. Down from uh, Great Scott. Um, but like, you don't know that until you actually look and you pop it into Google maps. So you take the old and the new and you say, Oh yeah, it was over so there. S- this is important. Streets is on the great Scott side of Com Ave. Yes. In my mind, it was always on the other side of the street and I went looking for it actually. <laughs> Couldn't find it. Now that makes sense. And the underground was nearby, right? Like the a underground little further was at up. The corner, uh, what's it called? Um, the corner of Brighton Ave and where Com Ave turns where around. Where it turns. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and that was short-lived. That was only there for, what, like a year, year and yeah. a half? And then there was another place up there called Club Soda. And yep. That was very short-lived, too, and I think that was connected with uh, <laughs> the late Stephen DeSaro. Well, I think one of the things that's really uh, very important in the book, uh, when you talk about the clubs, that's one great thing to see the listings and the opportunities to see the performers on an almost face-to-face basis. But then you look at some of the ads, the flyers, the posters, for $2.50, you could have seen The Who uh, at, in the BU area yeah. in 1969 doing a performance of Tommy when yeah. it was fresh and new. You, you know, Five years later, you could have gone to the Cape Cod Coliseum and seen David Bowie in his prime for $5.50. Yeah. You know, five years after that, you could have gone to the Harvard Stadium to see Bob Marley yeah. for, for 10 bucks. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a time travel adventure that shows you how many of these acts were so available at such a reasonable price. So we're with David Bieber, Boston archivist and uh, guy who operates the Space Center, and Brian Coleman, who's put together this book, and they worked together on this. You know, before I actually went to the Space Center, David, it was difficult for me to comprehend. No one really explained it to me. Like, I hope you and I can explain it to folks to make them understand the physical plant of it. (laughs) Like, you know, actually turning into the parking lot and it looks like uh, a converted mill area, right? Which it, it was basically creating uh, uh, floor coverings, a company called Jay Bird, uh, back 100 years ago. And uh, the Norwood Space Center is a complex of maybe 20 buildings, and it's meant to be a kind of interconnected arts community. It has uh, Puritus Brewing, it has people who are photographers, who are graphic artists, uh, who are uh, woodworkers, and um, basically, uh, uh, it's it's meant to be uh, an affordable, vibrant, arts-oriented situation for people who really can't, you know, pay the price and the premium of being in Boston anymore. Right, and so the, the entire thing, all the businesses. Cumulatively, are the space center. Yes, and, and you have once part and, of that. Is your space? Does that have a specific name? Uh, it's just the David Bieber Archives, okay. and uh, it's about close to ten thousand square feet of content. And I'm working also under the same roof with uh, the Sneaker Museum. Ricasso has a very celebrated collection of uh, uh, hip hop and Michael Jordan and uh, athletic wear and things that. Uh, have been in the box for 25, 30 years. Also under the same roof is uh, the management company for Ani DeFranco and Ronnie Spector and 
you know, doing some merch out of the out of the building as well. And uh, it's just meant to be uh, logically interconnected. And Brian Coleman has come by uh, multiple times and seen opportunities, right. and uh, it led to the book. So your archives, high ceiling, probably 20 feet high, right? Uh, More than that. <laughs> More than that? <laughs> and some of it's almost full yeah, right. up to so the ceiling. 30, 30 no, it can't be 30 no, feet. No. Can it? No. no. You okay. don't think? More, more in the 20. 18? Yeah, 18 to 20. Okay. Yeah. And is it like 100 feet by 50 feet? Something like that? Um, more than that. It's hard for me to more, under- more than it's that. Like a football field. It's like a football feet. field yeah. or an aircraft hangar. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it's about, you know, sometimes 15 feet high of stuff. Uh, yeah. 100 yeah. feet, 15 and feet high. Movie posters, concert posters, comic books, eight tracks. Uh, Charles Lacuadera's complete uh, inventory of his masters from WBCN. Sometimes All, Charles is there too. Yeah, he, sitting uh, amongst you know. He, does he have like a? Cot? He doesn't know it, and we don't know it. <laughs> Can he sleep there? Does he have a cot? Sure, he could. Sure. Yeah. So you have a, a crew of people who help you out a lot. Yeah, I uh, work with a bunch of faithful. Uh, Dave G- Tree still involved? Uh, Dave Tree, uh, Chuck White, Jeannie Smith, Lance Salemo. We're all working uh, with a, a common purpose of excavating, taking things out of boxes, putting them on shelves. Everything is meant to be retrievable. What Brian did for his book was spend, uh, I don't know, a month, six weeks in there just opening boxes, turning pages, hunting and sorting, finding ads that he thought would be appropriate, that would be, you know, a window into the past. And, you know, the end result was he scanned a bunch of things that he thought made sense. And, uh, right. I hope you have good fire suppression and because you have the entire history of Boston cool culture under one roof. If anything happened to that, that would be disastrous. Not just Boston. He's got village voices from 1969 and, you know, original Rolling Stones. And I mean, it's it's pretty it's overwhelming. I, I usually say when when if I bring someone there that the first time you go is just just let it soak in a little bit. Like you're not going to get any real work done here this time. Okay. Say somebody listening now wanted to experience this for real. Is that possible? Can anyone come? Do you make an appointment? Do you pay a fee? What do you do? It's, it's really not open to the public. I kind of shepherd people to the verb hotel where I did, uh, all the content, uh, in the walls and the corridors of the hotel and the Fenway. And now we're migrating upstairs into the rooms. So there's an Aerosmith room, there's a Cars room, there's a U2, uh, Elton John room. Uh, so that's kind of the portal from yeah. which you can see the Verb Hotel on on Boylston yeah. by Fenway Park, which was right right next door to where we uh, were compadres with WBCN. Right where I worked. Uh, yeah, twenty eight years, no, twenty five years in that building. Right, and uh, I'm also working with Joe Spaulding uh, at the. Box Center Wang uh, downstairs in a beautiful uh, environment. We're setting up a museum that's dedicated to folk and uh, Americana and roots music. We had a kind of pop-up display when Joan Baez played there in September, another pop-up when Ringo Starr played there. So, you know, just using a lot of the material. We're talking about Boston, the Boston you knew. Not this weird, shiny, tall Boston. Not the Boylston Street that looks like Broadway. But kind of a dirty old Boston, to steal a phrase, a rockin' Boston, a funky Boston. Right, David Bieber, right, Brian Coleman? Yep. Funky Boston. Absolutely. And we're here to celebrate this book curated by our guest, Brian Coleman, called Buy Me Boston. Of course, you got a picture of the front of the Rathskeller, known as the Rat, on the cover. Couldn't have done better than that. So there's you have probably hundreds of thousands of things to choose from. 
what were the what was your personal rule about what made it in and what didn't well i mean so it it i've done uh this is my fourth book and i've never books that i've done before i never put like volume one on it because i never knew that i would make another one you know yeah. and i did end up doing that but that wasn't something I thought about when I was first doing it. This one, I've always looked at this as a multi-volume thing because I started scanning and was like, oh my God, like I have so much stuff. This is, this is out of control. So it is a good question. Like, how did I whittle it all down? I mean, the thing I tried to do really was, uh, it, there was a little bit of pressure that was uh, taken off my shoulders because I said I didn't have to, get every single thing in there. I didn't have to have that pressure of, oh man, I really messed up because I didn't get this club or, or this. I mean, I tried to make it good so that people be enticed enough and like it. But um, really what I tried to do with this one, and, and I really consider it in, in a way an experiment, was I wanted balance. Like I didn't want it to be just a music that's um, good. Book. <laughs> Here I am deciding. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm glad. I, I agree that it's good. <laughs> too, too late well, to be bad. <laughs> well, I could have. I could have gone in different directions, but I said, like, I didn't want it to just be rock. You know, even within music, I wanted to include reggae and certainly a lot of R&B and hip hop and make it a, a true bird's eye view of Boston. And honestly, in a weird way, it's kind of a, an idyllic world that didn't really exist back in the 70s and 80s, you know, where I wish it had existed more, where um, genres were mixing more and people were coming back and forth across the river more than they did. Um, so, so, so anyways, but then beyond that, so it's hair salons and yeah. um, it's, it's uh, theatrical productions and it's the, the Kite Festival from 1983. And, and so um, there's, there's some stuff that's just, fun and funny and there's some stuff that's actually very culturally significant and i and i didn't try and really weight it uh i i wanted to make it i think overall i wanted to make it there's 400 images in the book and i could have put you know two or three thousand in the book if i wanted to but the only real thing i wanted to do is make it so that it, if you looked at it and you took whatever half an hour and you, you went through it and you were there during that era you just kind of would sigh and just be like, ah, you know, like that, those were good times. And so, so that's really that's what all this it, book is about. You yeah. will sigh and say those were, those yeah, are good I, times. I've, I've said to other people that like it, this in a weird way, if you grew up in, and you were a teenager or older in the sixties, seventies, eighties, this is kind of should be tucked in the back of your family album. This is like an appendix to yeah. your family album. It you is know? tucked in the back of your mind. Yeah. And it should be tucked in the back of the family album. It's really cool to have a hard copy of this. Yeah. It's not digital. I thank the Lord. Yeah. It's not just some. Well, yeah. And that was the thing, too. I mean, a lot of people are doing really cool stuff online on Instagram and Facebook. Um, like Dirty Old Boston, you mentioned before, Jim does an incredible job um, both on Facebook, but then he also did a printed book, which was incredible. And then he's working on a, a video, you know, film documentary. So, um, you know, so, so basically, I really didn't have any real formula. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I just, I knew it was right when it was right. And, right. and you know, I'd run it by David. It's kind of like obscenity, according to the government. You, kind of. You cannot define it, but you know it when you see it. There's some of that in here, too. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've told, I've told uh, many people that, you know, if you go to a Newbury Comics or you come to the Brattle Theater on Sunday night, you pick up the book, open it randomly to any page, and I'm convinced that you will not be able to stop. It's like when Bert Lahr used to do the Lay's uh, potato chip commercials. <laughs> I, I bet you can't eat one. Right. And this is, I bet you can't put this book down. You can't just look at one page. Because, but, but one of the things too, that's also important is, is because I did want to also, one of the things I hoped for and, and has actually come true because I've talked to some of the people who've bought the book of younger people who didn't live through this era that they kind of want to know more about it like oh that seems really cool because they're getting to this boston now that's obviously unrecognizable to someone being in boston in the 60s or 70s you know you mentioned boylston but look at the fenway i mean like who could even imagine right. that the fenway would look like it does now it looks like the jetsons or something um so so hopefully also be uh, that younger people will also pick it up find some things whether they laugh at it in a kitschy way but then they start to realize that there's actually some deeper stuff here there's an ad for um you know the show say brother and so you want to like what was that like i should learn more about that and there's um different uh visual artists and different I'm clubs go through the book so you will have a chance to, to sure. get i want to remind people of the name buy me boston local ads and flyers 1960s through the 80s, Volume 1. By the way, when Volume 2 comes out, anything that I have said, say or have said during this interview, you can use as a blurb. All right. <laughs> Deal. Because I feel like I said a couple cool things. You did. I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I truly appreciate it. You know, it's like, uh, that's the beauty of it. This uh, Other books I've done, as you've seen, you know, they're all 500 plus pages and they're yeah. mostly text. This is the complete opposite of that. This is almost no text and, except for the captions yeah. and just the images. So this for me was a very new kind of enterprise for me. And uh, it, it, in, in a weird way, an experiment, but, but I, I kind of knew that in a certain way it was like shooting fish in a barrel. Like if you so, show someone who's 57 years old who grew up in Boston a, a flyer from the rat, like they're just going to be like, oh. But you know, if you but if you show it to somebody who's 22 years old and knows the rat by reputation, they're going to sigh uh, just from the mere fact that they didn't get to experience it directly, but at least here's some visual representation of it. Right. Yep. And and the great thing is to look at the book and see, you know, the typography and the design and the artwork yep. that went into the creation of these ads and they are really period pieces, there's no question. Right. It see it feels to me like a walk. I'm a big walker and it feels like a series of walks, maybe one in 68, maybe one in 72, maybe one in 75, and on and on, where you would start at Harvard Square, and you might pop into a restaurant there and see on the wall uh, a posters for things. Or you might go into a club, and on the back of the door, there might be posters of things. Then you'd walk by and see a movie that was playing, and uh, you might walk through the combat zone. You might walk all the way through Boston. It feels, it feels like what you would see real walking through Boston yeah and uh, this is a pretty great thing for both of you pretty symbiotic because David you got the stuff Brian you have you're helping David get the word out 
Well, yeah, I mean, because here's the thing, like when I look at and, and by the way, it's not just David's stuff. David was definitely the the prime source. But uh, Kay Bourne, um, who was the longtime arts writer for the Bay State Banner, was a very, very important uh, part of this as well. Her archive is now at Emerson. And I actually had access to it before it uh, kind of got packed up and went to Emerson, which was really, really important. Um, and that covers a lot of incredible African-American artists from Boston in the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, which is very important, too, for the balance. Um, just to uh, because she she had some incredible things like uh, programs for arts banquets that would go on. And that's actually where you get for me. Um, and I think David, too, is some as people who appreciate advertising. Um, those are the ones that you have ads for uh businesses that would never even have the money or inclination to advertise in even the Phoenix or Boston after dark because it was just prohibitive. But it's like, okay, 25 bucks for this to support, you know, um, the, uh, you know, black firefighters, you know, banquet going on in 1982. Yeah, sure. Of course I'll do that. And then that's when, for me, there's some, some of my favorite ads are from those kinds of, or like the Miss Black Fox competition from 1975 i mean the ads in in that program were absolutely amazing so all right i'm gonna try to get a point across and it's gonna be difficult and you're gonna be geniuses and understand what i'm talking about even <laughs> though i don't actually get there the medium is the message they taught me in college and i really didn't get that until i don't know maybe four years ago it was the 70s it was the hippie thing to say but it really matters when you think about this versus a digital version of this and this the art of this time versus the art of now that would be given to you through a different medium there's something that is expressed simply by the medium of these posters and the what the the technology used in the posters that affects the message mm -hmm. who wants to understand what i'm talking about and run with it i think david should definitely take it that it seems one. like your thing well, it's, it's the uh, beauty of the hard copy and something that you can hold. It represents a certain kind of tactile reality that, you know, I appreciate fully the fact that we have instant access to all information, but it's kind of a flat surface. You know, this and Brian's selectivity puts a kind of boundary around the time, and he puts it in a book form, which is as close to the actual... Yes. presentation that it existed in originally in a newspaper in a magazine on it's a, less an image of the thing and more of the thing yeah yeah and i i think that you know he has been selective in his you know curatorial taste he he is not i mean the great thing about the book too is that it is very much in the spirit of the way things were done then they were kind of random he didn't just group things into okay here are the club ads here are the movie ads here are the strange and weird ads. I mean, you're as likely to segue from an ad for a secretarial school into an ad for Fritz the Cat, uh, the animated film, X-rated. So uh, there's, there's a, a great logic to the illogic that goes on. And yeah, I mean, the, the things that uh, people uh, forget about but can actually see, like, uh, the image of Mitch, uh, the doorman, the famous uh, uh, frontman at the Rat, you know, that uh, T-Max popularized through the Noise magazine and actually made T-shirts out of this great image. And Brian has included that it's it's face-to-face -face on another page 
that is a celebration of Martin Luther King. So you 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 know you you have this kind of wonderful perspective that Brian has created, and it exists in your hands, and you can just randomly ricochet from one page to another. So it's interesting to go into the book. You go into the Boston you used to know yeah. stuff you would see. For example, movie poster right away, first page. Frank Zappa, two hundred motels, and I also want to point out that. There are theaters back then that don't exist now, right? Yeah. Sack chain. Oh, yep. Sack, Cinema 57. Yes. I think most of them don't exist now. Right. I mean, you know. David, tell me, tell us about the sack chain. Sack. That was a big thing when, you know, in, in the day. And that was a local-owned chain of movie theaters that had places like the Saxon, the Pie Alley. Pie Alley. The Cherie. Um, and there was, that was, I think, three screens where it's now King's Bowling Alley. Uh, right, right in the back bay. Cherie. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the sh the Sack 57, which is where the Revere Hotel is now. Uh, and they were first-run theaters. As a matter of fact, where the Wang is today uh, was a theater called the Music Hall. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're kind of actually naming the exhibit and the museum in the downstairs of the Wang. The Music Hall is a throwback reference to what that theater was. And it was... Uh, First run kind of downtown movie theater house. I think they had maybe uh, at any point maybe nine, ten, eleven different screens. Uh, they were also the Charles. They had uh, you know in the area uh, on Charles Street, um, Cambridge Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one had the cinema. They had a curved screen, right? Yeah, because my family came from New Hampshire to see. It's a mad, mad, mad world. Right. Not enough mads in there. Yeah. Mad, 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 mad world. <laughs> right. But they, and they had a wonderful sound system in there, too, where you could actually start on the left side. You know, one of the ma most magnificent things that I recall about that theater was a train on a trellis that was uh, going across left to right, and the sound traveled with the visual, and it was wow. just extraordinary. It was beautiful. You know, there's a landmark that was there then and still there the red hat the 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 red hat bar are you familiar with that? Uh, yes i've heard of that right in the corner yeah. yeah i guess it was a speakeasy in the 20s i think there used to be one i mean there was definitely one at, at fresh pond down the street from where we are right now but i think there was actually even one like near where that cappy's was too right is that correct yeah. does that yeah. sound right so and i'm actually looking at an ad that brian found in his book uh, by me boston uh, the sack theaters uh Beacon Hill, Charles, Cherie, Cinema 57, Pi Alley, Paris, Saxon, and on and on. So they, That's kind of the good thing about the book. You can say, I wonder where they all were. And it's yeah. like, oh, well, here they are. Yeah. And Or I wonder where that club was. Exactly. What was the address? Like, exactly. oh, there it is. You, David, go, do you, you got remember, the index. Do you, I think you were still at BCN at the time. I think it was the SAC cinemas had these passes if you had one, you could get in for Oh, the little red passes. Little red passes. <laughs> yes. They were about like three inches by three inches. Yeah, yeah. And that was if gold. you were lucky, every once in a while you get a chunk of those, like maybe oh, twenty of them. They, they, <laughs> those those were the most wonderful thing. I, <laughs> the only limitation I think is that they didn't want people to use them on weekends, but they yeah. were good Monday through Thursday. And it was like we'd get them at BCN as a stack like post-it notes. Yeah, and you would just give them out, and it was like giving such a wonderful gift to people in addition to all the screenings that we did i was a part-timer yeah so i took such advantage of those i would go to the matinee and it'd be zero people right right in the sheree 
But it was first run. On the pie alley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pie alley, by the way, pie is a term used in printing. And that used to be in ancient old Boston times where printing was done in pie alley. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I learned that from probably Anthony Simarco. Sounds right. And that was the only time I really actually had a rat in the theater scurrying by (laughs) my feet. Oh, man. You don't remember the Cherie then. (laughs) (laughs) Probably they weren't scurrying, though, because they were getting stuck to the floor because they never washed it from the the candy and the liquid butter. Who who needs a rat trap? Right. Just right right there. You just pick them off. And it was just great to have no people. You get totally lost in the picture. There's nobody talking or crying or screaming. That was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're uh, we have a minute till the break. We haven't gotten to the book yet, so you seemed amenable to stay in a lo- little sure. longer. Can we do that? Would love to. Yeah. So, folks, you get what we're doing here. Well, just talking about those theaters probably makes you say, "Oh man, I went to one of those theaters." You probably had forgotten about them. I don't mean to be a super huckster for your book. Please do. But <laughs> by if all means, if the book makes you feel like the book makes me, it will be worth whatever it costs. Sixteen dollars. Sixteen. Okay. Whew. Uh, less, less, than a, yeah, less than a cost of a movie. That's right. true. That's right. Right, right. Now, are there any FNX uh, images and graphics and advertisements in this book? Yes. The book, by the way, is Buy Me Boston, Local Ads and Flyers. And we're talking with David Bieber and the author, Brian Coleman. That talk would have about, been a mistake not to in include here. FNX for sure. Um, yeah, so so the, the book itself is uh, 392, I believe, images uh, spread out over about 300 pages. And um, it's everything is a wide range. So it's not just music for sure, even though I could have easily done one just for music. Uh, but I wanted to make it more of a, 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 a wider range. Um, so it's cultural rather than yeah, music. Yeah. But I mean, the, the Boston is such a music town. Um, so in a way, it was almost a, a challenge for me. And I'm such a music fanatic that uh, for me, a lot of it was also forcing myself to step outside of my own lens in my own experience, to be honest with you, and, and include things. I mean, honestly, I, w- I wasn't around for anything in the 70s. I mean, I was alive, but I was six, you know, so I wasn't exactly going to the rat. So, so a lot of that, too, is because knowing people like David and people like Kay Bourne uh, and just absorbing a lot of knowledge just by uh, knowing uh, what went on in town, but also by looking at these old publications that I would go to David Bieber's archive um, out in Norwood and and just kind of absorb it and kind of say, I know this one is important. And, and now I'm looking at, there's one called uh, uh, Mavericks, which I'd never heard of. And I think, yeah, it was a very short lived. You remember it. Oh yeah. But I think it was pretty short lived. It was right right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe a year and a half, David, something like that. But the lineup was pretty amazing. So I'm like, wow. That's pretty, that, so to me. Like liquid, liquid. Exactly. There's actually a liquid, liquid ad uh, in one of the, in there. Um, but, but so to me, I'm like, I've never heard of that club, but this lineup, obviously they were booking, whoever was booking this place knew what they were doing. This was pretty unique. So, um, so, so I would throw that in there, but there's important cultural stuff, things that were going on um, at the Elma Lewis school or uh, visual artist uh, Alan Rohan Crite uh, is in there. And there's also really ridiculous hair salon ads of very much of the time of there's one one of my favorite ones. I forget actually even what it is, what the name of the place was. But this was in the hair metal um, days. And it was four guys with the foofiest hair you can ever imagine. And 
you know that they were like, oh man, we're in this ad. We look so good. And you know, <laughs> now obviously you look back and you're just like, oh man. Um, so, so I tried to make it a mix of a little bit of everything of uh, cultural significance and frivolity and things that were uh, kind of uh, important, both musically and otherwise, and things, honestly, that I think a lot of people weren't even aware of, depending on what part of town. Boston is a very, um, certainly back then was even worse, was a very segregated town, and a lot of people uh, kind of wouldn't go to the other neighborhood, you know, or the other side of the river. And so this book very consciously tries to take more of an aerial view of, of, of everything and, and cover the waterfront, so to speak, and uh, represent all of Boston. Um, and, and so hopefully I achieved that. I mean, the good thing is it's volume one very clearly. I could easily do volume two and three tomorrow, but I'll probably do one a year. And I can kind of correct as I go along if I, if I feel like I haven't um, hit certain topics. There are certain ads that I desperately wanted David will remember that I probably, you know, was kvetching as much as I, I, I was like, I cannot find a Steve's ice cream ad and it's killing me. Yeah. It's keeping me up at night. Why can't I find a Steve's ice cream ad? Um, and it was there. It, 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 I didn't look at every single newspaper that came out in the 1970s. So it were the, the ones that were available to me that I honestly, that I, that were in a pile that I had access to at David's, not everything's unpacked over there. So that's kind of the beauty of it is that I can just keep going and going. Um, and I plan on doing so because I think people are responding to it in the way I had hoped that they would respond to it in a, that they either want to know more about some of the stuff that's in there or they know plenty about it and they love kind of having that trip in the Wayback Machine and, and, and kind of going back to the glory days in a way. So these will be like Hot Wheels. Collect them. You're going to have a bunch of these yeah, books. Yeah, I hope so. Now, and, and I hope to do more events too, you know, not and, and make this into a celebration of Boston. I've done a lot of national stuff. The, the books I've written previously have, first of all, been very specific in that they're hip hop books, but they're also national. You know, they're not, they're the, I've only covered one Boston artist, Ed O.G. and the Bulldogs. Um, and I wanted to do something about Boston. I wanted to have a love letter to, to our town and, and kind of celebrate it in a way that there are other people doing it. And it's amazing. You know, the, there's the, uh, the Chet's last call movie is out and there's the real kids movie. And then there's the boys from nowhere and there's all these incredible things in dirty old Boston. And so hopefully this fits, uh, shoulder to shoulder alongside it, but doesn't, uh, it, but it but kind of also expands the horizon a little bit too. One thing I try to do with Jay talking is have it have a sense of place, Boston, and this is great for that. Guys, thanks very much. Thanks, Brad. WBZ. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.